Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello and welcome everyone to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Josh Thomas. Today our guest is Galen Moore from TokenReport.com. TokenReport is a financial data service for cryptocurrency investors. Hey Galen, how's it going? Good, thanks. Glad to be here. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you. And so, uh, you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, Bitcoin may or may not be going crazy. I know in the uh, month of November and December, it certainly has been. Uh, you know, Galen, before we get into what you're doing here with your company, could you could you just kind of speak to what's happening uh, in this industry right now? I think there are a number of factors <clears throat> that kind of tend to feed off each other. Uh, one is the emergence of institutions that are lending credibility and bringing large amounts of capital into play. And as that happens, you see the retail <clears throat> of the investment uh, community start to uh, come online in larger numbers as people you know, gain confidence and start to feel like maybe if they the first time they've heard about Bitcoin, maybe they thought it was uh, too risky or thought it was a scam or a Ponzi scheme. But when they see entities like CME, for example, uh, coming in, uh, you know, that starts to make them want to take a second look. And that kind of activity, I think, can gather momentum really quickly. So, so what you're seeing here is as those larger players come in, there are waves of, uh, of retail and individual enthusiasm uh, that follow. It's it's kind of you know we're we're just following the natural progression arc here. We've we've moved away from early adopters and we're starting to get into the early majority. Would you say that's the case? Uh, I don't know about that actually. It's um it's a little early to tell if you look at it from a global perspective, right? Obviously, Bitcoin is yeah. a and cryptocurrency in general is a global phenomenon. Uh, and I you know I hear varying estimates about what percentage of the world has even heard of cryptocurrency at this point. So I think. You know, we could still be still be in the sort of early adopter, unless you're inside the bubble of Wall Street or Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, in which case it certainly has crossed over to the um, uh, to the to that kind of uh, early majority type of phase. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, and so, one of the one of the things that we need as uh, more and more people are learning about cryptocurrency is we need data and information. And uh, that's where you come in, right, Galen? That's correct. So we uh, started looking not so much at Bitcoin, but at the many other uh, currencies that have emerged, most of them in the past year, um, 
there are now, as you I'm sure know, more than a thousand coins uh, listed on coin market cap. Uh, we're seeing new ICOs, uh, new initial coin offerings being launched or announced daily at a rate of about five to seven a day. Uh, most of the ones that are announced do get to market. More and more of them are uh, failing or closing before raising their minimum amounts, but we are still seeing the amount of funds going into novel tokens uh, increasing quarter over quarter, not quite at the rate that the price of the underlying blue chip currencies has been increasing, but still at a uh, at um, an impressive rate. And for us, you know, we're focused on the investor who is uh, who's looking at that emerging. Uh, you know, last time I looked, it was about 20% of the total market cap uh, of uh, or the total valuation of all cryptocurrencies, <clears throat> excluding Bitcoin. Uh, 20% of it was in the uh, everything below the top 10. Uh, so if that's the sort of if your if your appetite for risk extends beyond Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's um, that's where we are looking to provide a better source and a more reliable and comprehensive source of information. Okay. So tell us a little bit. Take us on a, a quick guided tour here of the token report. And uh, if I were interested in, in some uh, altcoin as a, you know, a speculative investment, uh, what, what kinds of resources are you bringing to me here? Sure. We start with um, keeping people up to date on new projects. So when new projects are announced or listed, we try to be fast, if not first, uh, with an alert, letting people know that they exist and making it easy for an investor to uh, discover some basic information about them. Uh, so, for example, things like hard cap, uh, total supply of the token, uh, the price of the token and the offering, the terms of the deal, if you will, uh, as well as links to white papers uh, and some information about the team. And beyond that, one of the I think one of the best services that we can provide is keeping investors up to date about projects. As uh, as you may know, there is a real shortage of transparency in the space. Teams are not necessarily intending to to be dishonest, uh, but they may be moving too fast, or they may have a poor understanding of what it is they really should be disclosing to investors. So we've seen anything from uh, changes to the core team of a project uh, to you know, significant additions or subtractions from the white paper. Uh, and we try to keep on top of those things on the, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, there's a, a, a real torrent of these projects coming online. Uh, so we don't give that level of scrutiny to all of them. Uh, but the ones that our users indicate interest in, uh, we will make sure that uh, our users are aware of any changes to the website or to the white paper. Uh, so that's kind of the the very beginning of it, and then what we're able, as we amass that data, what we've what we have is a, a pretty powerful core of uh, information and information capability to work on, and so we develop specific signals for investors out of that information. Uh, so, for example, uh, what's the momentum in the sale? If a sale has opened, uh, at what point do they do we say yes, they are tracking toward reaching a minimum? Uh, so in other words, of the many projects that are launching each week, uh, they're opening up their sales. Uh, there are some that will, will never reach their minimum, uh, but there are many that may not be the high-profile projects that everyone's paying attention to, uh, but are likely to raise a significant amount of money. So we're providing investors with a signal where they can say and spot those projects before they um, 
you know, before they make the announcement that they've uh, raised a certain amount of Definitely, uh, that's definitely an important advantage to have. And, and so, uh, you know, without revealing any of your trade secrets here, how are you able to get ahead of the curve on some of these uh, lesser known projects? It's not so much getting ahead of the curve. It's really more a matter of um, keeping an eye on everything. Uh, so it's really a, the challenge isn't isn't necessarily being first. A lot of this information is readily available if you're if you're looking for it. But if you if you don't have an eye for the whole picture, it's really easy to miss what's happening in one particular spot. So tell me, what are some of the uh, key indicators you're looking for uh, for a for a potentially good investment? Are, is there a set of criteria yeah. that you've developed there at Token Report that that says, you know, we think that if it meets A, B, and C, then then this could be a good investment. We have done some of that. We did develop a very basic risk score. Uh, we were looking at, for example, the likelihood that a project or that a token would be regulated as a security. And that was really simply based on a straightforward list of how we test questions, uh, that being the, the U.S. Uh, Securities and Exchange Commission's uh, test for whether something is a security. is called the Howey test. Uh, it has about four components to it. Um, and so we would go through those and, and take a look at each project. And a surprising number of projects are doing things that are going to run them afoul of that. Uh, whether they're calling themselves utility tokens or not, you look in their white paper and you find that they're making, uh, if not promises, then hints or suggestions about the likelihood that the token will go up in value. That's a red flag. Uh, and it's easy to miss. If you're <clears throat> reading a lot of white papers, um, you know you may be more focused on the technological aspects or their uh, go-to-market plan, assuming that they have provided thorough details on those aspects. That's a really big deal right now, uh, and it's also not a really big deal because there's nothing wrong with your token being listed as a security. Correct. It's just That's that right. if, if it if it is, then they need to go through the proper registration process. And, and right. I've had conversations with dozens of other companies at this point, and uh, a lot of them adamantly deny the fact that their token is a security. But, uh, you know, if it if it walks like a duck, you know, it's, As they say. just because you say it's not doesn't mean it's not. The uh, the I think the key thing is where are the assumptions here and um, and and are these companies equipped to to comply with regulatory uh, oversight uh, and also what are the assumptions baked into it uh, a, a a token that's not a security at least at this point in time will have a more liquid trading environment uh, will have access to more of the high profile exchanges certainly in the U S market which is becoming a larger and larger uh, player, right? I think you used to hear people say, don't sell to the U.S. It's 20% of the money and 80% of the risk. I haven't heard anybody say that in uh, weeks, <laughs> which is, you know, yeah. months in uh, in crypto yeah. time and uh, become an attractive, uh, you know, investor buy side of the market here. It's it's funny how quickly things change in this, in this space. I mean, uh, and again, it's uh, for our audience, uh, the recording of this podcast is Thursday, December seventh, and uh, you know, in the the last seven days, uh, you know, Bitcoin by itself has gone up, you know, something like you know sixty percent or something like that. It's uh, some some ridiculous amount. Um, we're up, you know, two thousand dollars today over yesterday, and you know, who knows where it's going to go in the future, uh, but. It, 
the the conversation shifts so rapidly. In October, we were we were talking about well how to strategize for your ICO, and in December we're talking about well you know a lot of guys just aren't even doing ICOs anymore; they're doing private placements, <laughs> and it's yeah, almost come full right. circle. You know, ICO is still a thing. Uh, but there was this craze, and that craze has shifted towards more legitimate means because you know the regulators are coming into the picture. Well, you know, legitimate or or, or illegitimate. I mean, I, I, there's something to be said for the for the early ICOs that had the honest model of publishing a white paper that really was, by the way, a, a white paper and not a business plan, and opening up a forum for discussion about a project and launching an open source project and issuing a token based on those terms. We've come a long way from that, and I think there was, you know, there's still a lot of people who think that 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 model is viable to to support a for-profit project. Um, but uh, most of the people who are pursuing uh, the, the, you know, who are pursuing businesses, tokenized businesses, are doing it in the model that you described, which involves a private sale or a pre-sale to institutional investors. And you know, regulators themselves are are not sleeping on that. There's an element in that of front running, uh, and I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about whether it's, um, you know, whether selling something as a security to a, a private investor uh, and then selling it to the public as a quote-unquote utility uh, is really an honest model or one that regulators will accept. Yeah, it's, it's it's certainly interesting to see how uh, you know people are trying to navigate the the legal la- uh, landscape and some of them trying to circumnavigate it. Yeah, uh, I can but, I can tell you that for us, we do we decided not to go the SAF route. We were, you know, everybody was doing it, so we were getting ready to do that. We have our own we have our token, uh, which we've issued, uh, and we decided, look, we have a product ready to go. We have a product for the. Uh, uh, for the individual market, for the retail market, and we have a product for the institutional market. And um, as we began our pre-sale, we thought, why, why are we, you know, putting this regulatory intermediary in between uh, that can muddy the waters here? Why don't we just sell the token directly as it's intended? Uh, our first sales are going to institutional investors who are using the product, uh, and they're buying the token in order to uh, to gain access to aspects of it that they otherwise be able to get. So as you uh, as you're putting this company together, uh, uh, first of all, how long how long have you been around? We started this thing, launched it formally in May, and it's uh, a project that that I myself and uh, Peter Vesinus, who was one of the founders of the Bitcoin Foundation, put together. Uh, Peter is now uh, uh, running New Alchemy, which is a, a cryptocurrency advisory firm based in Seattle, and uh, he and I started talking about this stuff back in March. And really focusing on the lack of information and quality analysis and research uh, in cryptocurrency, and um, pretty quickly came to the conclusion that the the, the deepest pain point was on fundamental data, where in um, you know in the world of, um, of of securities investing, Edgar and Emma in the U.S. are available for the investor to to find the fundamental data they need on on uh, on assets that they're interested in. Uh, there are any number of services that aggregate that information, um, whether it's a you know Google or Yahoo Finance, uh, or or a broke online brokerage, uh, all the way up to Bloomberg or Thomson Reuters, and uh, that you know <clears throat> for, forget about uh, a Bloomberg or a Thomson Reuters, you know there wasn't even any, you know there wasn't even a a baseline understanding about what information should be disclosed, uh, and there still isn't you know where. 
where you can find things like total supply, which is something anybody should know before they buy a, uh, a token, uh, is uh, you know it varies from project to project whether it's disclosed and if it is disclosed, you know where you find it. We've had situations, you know, it's a little bit of that wild west in the information space. And yeah. uh, what are some of the challenges that you ran into in in getting this uh, getting this software and getting this service up and running so quickly? You know, um, I think we've we've been one of the things that we've done well is to be really iterative about the process. So we haven't been afraid to get into the weeds on stuff and to say, well, that, wow, this is uh, totally unsustainable, um, what we're doing, but to do it anyway and to learn from doing it and then find a better and more efficient way to do it. So we've been uh, you know, willing to, for example, contact teams to get information. Uh, we've been willing to... Um, you know, read white, download, scan, and run diff checks on white papers daily. Uh, we've been willing to to take steps like that that are nobody's idea of what a <clears throat> a smart information business ought to be doing. Uh, and what we've done as we've gone along is try to automate that process, or if we can't automate it, streamline it uh, wherever possible to understand it better. So I think you know we are we're still a small team. We're by no means at at the point where we'd like to be. Uh, but that's part of what the token sale is about. We're um, we're bringing in customers as uh, as investors and uh, and looking to establish something that will be able to get every piece of data that's relevant to every single tokenization in the world. Uh, and really, to me, the most frustrating thing is all the stuff we're missing. Like we're still there's still a lot we're, there's still a lot our net can't catch, and it looks like you know it looks like uh, gold slipping through our fingers to me. Yeah, I understand that. There's, there's certainly uh, when when it comes to cryptocurrency, you're you're definitely drinking from the fire hose and just yeah. trying to figure out, you know, how much how much data can I shove down my throat so that I can digest it all. And tell me a little bit about the uh, what do you see as the future of uh, this industry as far as information and data is concerned? You're you're building a you're building an information company so that people can have the the data that they need at their fingertips to make good decisions. Where do you see yeah. that going in the next three to five years? Yeah, one thing I think about a lot is um, the that dichotomy between the retail investor and the institutional investor. And if you look back to like the last time. Um, there was a, a sort of a gold rush like this of investment, and especially around um, kind of new categories of investors coming online. It was the late 1990s when online trading became a thing. So between 1995 and 1998, you saw a 418x increase in the number of online trading accounts in the U.S. And this <clears throat> retail investor became a, a, a sort of a force in a way that hadn't been seen before. You had uh, Thomas Friedman in 1999 talking about the digital herd and how that was affecting the fortunes of nations because sovereign debt was now trading freely on the internet. So that promise of like, oh, this is this democratized world of investing where we have to be honest and transparent, that kind of fizzled when uh, high-speed trading, high-frequency trading, and um, uh, electronic and algorithmic trading you know, grew in the uh, in the aughts, right, in the past decade. And that kind of squeezed the retail investor out of the market. That's still an important segment, but uh, it became less important. So I think when you look at the way crypto markets are evolving, there's this huge question of, is that going to happen again, right? The institutions are coming in, the venture capital, the hedge funds, they're savvier, they're smarter, they have better equipment, 
game over for the individual, right? Forget the crowd, forget the whale even, right? Bigger, bigger, much bigger whales are coming into the space, and that phase of the market's development is over. So I would question that narrative. I, I think it's pretty clear to there's there's not much that's really actually clear to me, but but one thing that is clear to me is that whatever we're doing today is Netscape, and it's Netscape 1.0. We're going to go through some right angle turns in this market. There are going to be you know I mean for example. Uh, asset-backed tokens. That hasn't even really been figured out yet, right? There are a number of interesting projects that are working on it, but nobody's really figured out how to take a piece of real estate or a piece of art uh, or what, or even a, a, you know, shares in a company or an existing business and tokenize it. That's a whole wave of, of, uh, of innovation that has yet to really hit the shores. Following that, and, or maybe before it, cross-chain innovation. Right? There are a number of projects doing fantastic stuff with cross-chain. What does that do to the market? And right now we're looking at thousands of tokens. Are we going to be looking at hundreds of blockchains? And what does that mean? I think anybody who claims to understand and to see around those corners at this point, I would take that claim with a grain of salt. The, the thing that seems clearest to me is that there are going to be some surprises. And I do believe that the individual investors who led this market to where it is today will be leaders in that in those in those right angle turns. So for us, uh, it's very important to capture the individual investor and bring them onto the platform. And that's one of the principles that we've designed the token around. We want to develop something that can have a level of exclusivity that a service like Bloomberg or Thomson Reuters has without setting it at a price point that cuts off 99% of the market. We do want individuals using the platform, uh, whether they're whales or crowd sale participants. You know, I read that the average, <clears throat> the average crowd sale participant puts about three ETH in play. Uh, we want to capture that kind of investor. That's a significant amount of money. And if an individual like that has 20 in their portfolio, 20 tokens in their portfolio, then they're investing at a level where a service like ours will make sense. So I think, you know, <clears throat> when it comes to where the market is going in the next, you know, six, you know, six months, let alone three years. Um, I guess the one prediction that I would make is that the the fundamentals that took it to where it is today, uh, open source, uh, crowd sales, uh, and really idea driven projects, uh, I think will um, you know will have a say in the next the next pivot that we make. Well said. Uh, we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, Galen Moore from TokenReport.com. Uh, we encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about this, you can visit the website, tokenreport.com. Galen, uh, really appreciate you coming on here. Any final thoughts for our audience before we go? No, it's been great to be here, Josh. Thanks a lot. Just want to say, if you're uh, if you're interested in our token, uh, you can find information about that on the website. We're in the pre-sale now and um, looking to do a crowd sale of the ICO in the first quarter of 2018. Very good. Thanks very much for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next time. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com.
You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.